Hello, everyone. This is Brian Pender from Christ Church. Thanks for tuning in to our Lenten podcast, Sitting in the Ashes with Cinderella. First, I want to begin with just a word of thanks to all of you for tuning in each week. I also want to extend a special word of thanks to a friend of ours in Omaha, Nebraska, Matt Weber at Table of Grace Cafe. Matt, I'm so glad that you found the podcast and you can share this with us each week. I'd like to explore the theme of patience and persistence in our grief work. How do we continue when this feels so difficult? This is not easy work, and it can be painful. It's hard. So how do we keep at it? I'd like to take a little selection once again from the Cinderella text and explore some of the symbolism that I find there. So our text for this week goes like this. Now it happened that the king proclaimed a festival that was to last three days. All the beautiful young girls in the land were invited so that his son could select a bride for himself. When the two sisters heard that they too had been invited, they were in high spirits. They called Cinderella, saying, Comb our hair for us, brush our shoes, and fasten our buckles. We are going to the festival at the king's castle. Cinderella obeyed but wept, because she too would have liked to go to the dance with them. She begged her stepmother to allow her to go. You, Cinderella, she said, you, you all covered with dust and dirt, and you want to go to the festival? You have neither clothes nor shoes, and yet you want to dance. The stepmother said, No, Cinderella, you have no clothes, and you don't know how to dance. Everyone would only laugh at you. Cinderella isn't ready for the festival yet. She's going to have to sit in those ashes for a while longer. I think that's the symbolism in this for all of us. We have to sit in those ashes for as long as it takes to do this grief work. Now, how do we mark the journey? How do we know that we're making any progress? I think one of the primary ways, one of the most infallible signs, is that we come to realize our own powerlessness when we're facing this pain, when we're facing these wounds, we know that there's nothing we can do. No matter how much we ourselves try out of our own resources, we can't make it better. We come to realize that only God can do this. We need God's help. We really reach a a place of spiritual poverty. That's what spiritual poverty is. We have no place else to turn but God. God is the one who can do this transforming work inside of us, and it's our job to cooperate with that. I think that we realize this especially with primordial relationships and the primordial wounds that come from them. And by that I mean the wounds that come from our families and sometimes even our churches. Those can be father and mother wounds that are very deep and very painful and that we carry with us for a long time. There's nothing we can do on our own to heal those. That's going to be God's work within us. So when we come to that place of despair and hopelessness, that's actually the sign that we, we have arrived or in that place and we're making progress on that journey. We see that it's only through the transfiguration of us that God does 
that we experience humility, that we grow in compassion because we're feeling God's compassion toward us. And that leads to healing. And as I said, that's God's work. We can't do that on our own. Oh, this is hard and it takes time. And I think the temptation is to give up, to just walk away from it. But one of the ways that we persist is in, in the knowledge, in the confidence that we can bear this if we can share it. Anything can be born if it can be shared. We have to trust when we enter into grieving that there is someone, something that is going to be there to catch us when we step into that darkness. A good biblical model for this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he enters into those, those days of darkness, he trusts that the benevolent power of the universe that he called his father was going to be there to catch him and carry him through that. We need to know that too. If we don't have that, the, the, the woundedness and the pain can, can destroy us. I'm reminded of a, a quote from Ernest Hemingway that I think was in A Farewell to Arms. Hemingway said, The world breaks everybody, and some people are strong at the broken places. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Now, why is it that some people are strong and other people are angry, bitter, and resentful? And I think it's because the people who are strong at the broken places had someone or something that was going to be carrying them through. They carried them through their journey of darkness and the, the grief work that they did. Another way that we can mark progress in the work of, of grieving is as we let go of the need to blame somebody else for the reason we're feeling what we're feeling, which is to say we don't need to look at somebody else and point a finger and say, it's your fault that I'm so miserable, or it's your fault, I didn't get a fair shake in life because of you, you did this to me. Or we, we point to whomever, our, 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 our parents, our friends, uh, the, the government, the church. We stop blaming other people. We don't need to blame anybody anymore. We let go of that. We're able to simply say it is what it is what it is. And we're all under the mercy of God. We let go of the need to point fingers. That's another infallible sign of progress in the work of grieving. As we close this week, I invite you to ask yourself, what do you find most difficult about your grief work? What makes it difficult for you to persist? Share that with Jesus in prayer this week. And with that, we enter into meditation. <laughs> 